We're the Denver Broncos cheerleaders, and you're listening to Sports Crunch with DCROM. Are. This is Sports Crunch with D-Crom. I'm your host, David Cromlow. Joined as always by my right-hand man, Hal Bett, to full press coverage. And five weeks into this 2022 NFL season, a common theme has emerged. Some people may call it parody, but Tom Brady has other ideas. Last week, he said the reason why so many teams were 2-2 two two headed into week five was that there was, quote, a lot of bad football, unquote, and after watching some of the games last week, especially that Thursday night stinker oh. that we shall never speak of again, <laughs> it's very hard to argue against the GOAT. But thankfully, we have some games this week that should help divert our attention from the cesspool of mediocrity that currently dominates the National Football League. Don't you think so, Hal? Oh, definitely, David. And, and the word is par- it's, it's not bad football. It's parody this is the the tagliaboo dream here you know uh the commissioners the former commissioners dream of a league of eight nine and nine and eight teams here uh throughout the league everybody's got a chance that's the that's the dream of the commissioner so uh i think we we're just seeing the natural evolution of the game here and, uh, you know, we still had some great contests last week and some fun games that went down to the wire. And I expect more of that this week. What if both you and Tom Brady are right? I think both of you guys are right, actually, because, uh, yeah, there's uh, a lot of bad football going on in many respects. But uh, still, uh, a lot of these games, if not most of these games, are competitive week after week. And that was Paul Tagliabue's dream indeed. Can't go wrong with that. And uh, before we talk about some of those uh, games that I alluded to, let's uh, discuss our reactions to week five. What was the biggest lesson that you learned? Uh, the, the sad lesson learned was it's over for the Steelers and Mike Tomlin's no losing seasons here. Um, this was the easy part of their schedule and they're sitting at one and four. Uh, now they're getting to the tough part, the Tampa, Miami, and Philadelphia games before the bye, and it doesn't look much easier after that. Um, you know, they haven't been impressive on offense. They haven't been on impressive on defense. I think this is the year uh, it all comes crashing down. And, you know, blame it on the offensive line. Blame it on injuries. It happens to the best of them. It's going to be happening this year in Pittsburgh. So uh, Steelers fans, time to start dreaming about that impact player you're getting at the top of the draft next year. Very, very good point. Hard to argue against that. And uh, speaking of Mike Tomlin, coaching matters. And Brian Dable is showing exactly why that is the case. Last week, we said that the New York Giants are going to be exposed as the frauds they are by the Packers in London. They came back from a multi-score deficit in the second half to upset the Packers in London. And Brian Dayball has single-handedly transformed the culture of that team. They played to win every single week. And this is a middling roster at best. Average quarterback. Uh Weapons that don't scare you outside of Saquon Barkley, a defense 
that uh, is young and unproven, yet Brian Dable is just making the most beautiful chicken salad out of cat food I have ever, <laughs> ever, ever, ever seen. Oh, my goodness. And case in point, the Giants were down to their second and third string corners in the second half, yet Don Week Martindale, the defensive coordinator, he decided to blitz Aaron Rodgers nearly two out of every three snaps. That goes to show how um, much these coaches believe in their players, no matter where they are on the depth chart. This is a new culture that's being established with the Giants. And the Giants may not make it to the playoffs this year, but I am very, very, very excited to see where Brian Dable and Joe Shane eventually lead this team. Great, great point, David. I mean, they were exposed and then they, <laughs> that was the first half. And then they showed you what they can do. And, you know, we've been talking on this show for years about Brian Dable and why he wasn't a head coach, you know, two years ago. Um, can't understand it, but the Giants are reaping the benefits of that move. So I think now we got to talk about Don Martindale. When the heck is he going to be hired as a head coach? Oh, that's going to be very interesting to see. I think his time is uh, way past due as well. And uh, what about your go to the week for week five, Hal? I mean, this was a tough choice. I mean, there were some uh, serious contenders, some uh, players having great weeks, but um, hard to narrow it down. But I've got to say, go to the week. I mean, Josh Allen, 348 yards, four touchdowns in the first half? In the first half? Oh, my goodness. It's Josh Allen's league. The rest of us are just here along for the ride right now. That I mean, he could have thrown for 700 yards if he wanted to. <laughs> no doubt about it. And uh, the Bills were nice enough to take their foot off the gas in the second half. But what a performance uh, from Josh Allen. Uh, just mind-popping stats. You just don't see that in a you know, 30 minutes of football, that was something special. Speaking of special, specialists are people too, as I like to say, and that takes me to my go to the week, Justin Tucker. Not only did he kick another game-winning field goal to add on to the game-winning field goals he's kicked in his illustrious Hall of Fame career, um, we just have got to appreciate just how special and exceptional of a kicker that Justin Tucker is. According to Michael Lopez, uh, who is on Twitter, at Stats by Lopez, according to the ball tracking data of Next Gen Stats, Justin Tucker's game-winning field goal last Sunday against the Bengals, it crossed the upright with a Y-coordinate, which is the width of the field, of 26.52. The exact middle of the field is Y equals 26.67. Oh. And that means that if the uprights were half a yard wide, Justin Tucker's kick would have still been good. And throughout his uh, career, he leads the NFL in middle of the upright accuracy. That's how special and exceptional of a kicker Justin Tucker is. And he's getting a gold jacket at the end of the day, isn't he, Hal? No doubt about it. I mean, you talk about kickers that are accurate inside of 50 yards. I mean, Tucker, you're like, you know, I don't know, what is it, 65? You start <laughs> to think he might miss this kick. I mean, 43, that's nothing. That's an, you know, I mean, it's not even fair. You know? <laughs> You're right. Maybe they need those uh, goalposts. They can move them in and make it narrower for him and increase the uh, level of difficulty. But yeah, he is 
a machine. He is on pace to be the greatest kicker. I mean, what a weapon he is. Consistency, um, accuracy, and like you said, I mean, it's not like he's sneaking them inside the uprights most of the time. He is splitting them. And yeah, I agree. Um, as a specialist, he is special. He most certainly is. And now on to our Dutch of the Week. I'm going with the guy who is not a coach and not a player. I am going with the crew chief of the Raiders Chiefs Monday Night Football game, Carl Sheffers. Oh, my God. That was the worst call I have ever seen in all my years of watching football. Roughing the passer? Had Chris Jones stripped Derek out of the ball and he was going down with a ball in one hand and with the other hand, he used it to avoid landing on Carl with his full body weight. Oh my goodness. That was just beyond atrocious. The worst call I've ever seen. And not only that, you might've cost the Raiders the game by calling a penalty that has not been called in like seven years and the last time it was called by you against the Raiders in 2015 on a field goal attempt oh my god Carl Sheffers you just deserve to be demoted and you shouldn't referee a playoff game this season oh cannot agree more uh you know I'm all for protecting the quarterbacks as the you know stars of the league but you know, let's face it, you know, you've got to make it, uh, you know, <laughs> you got to let the guys play. I mean, and, and we saw it in the Tampa game as well with that dreadful call uh, when Brady was sacked as well. That Grady left, Jarrett, yeah. Oh, poor Grady Jarrett. I mean, what's he supposed to do? Yeah, <laughs> he, tackled, <laughs> yeah. he tackled him, you know, like what more can you do? So, so yeah, uh, dunce of the week, I, I, Got to agree, David. That's a great choice. Me, I am going with a coach, though, however. Um, and, you know, a lot of people are going to let him off the hook because they eventually won the game. But Brandon Staley going for it on fourth down, breathing life back into Cleveland, giving them a chance to kick the game winning field goal, uh, which Cade York missed. So, you know, success success but for staley to make a basically what he said is i have no faith at all in my defense and week five you're giving up on your defense i mean punt the ball if you had any faith in your defense you'd punt the ball away you'd make cleveland try to go 60 yards in you know a minute um terrible terrible decision i mean it was a matter of just saying i don't think my defense can make a stop and you deserve to lose those games brandon staley you got very lucky um that you got a free w there uh because of you know cleveland not being able to do what they needed to do to put that game away but uh, brandon staley dunce of the week terrible terrible decision making Oh, and guess who was the other finalist for the Chargers coaching job after the 2020 season, along with Brandon Staley? Brian Brian Dable. Let's just imagine how great the Chargers would be right now if they had Brian Dable. They are just underachieving 
with Brandon Staley. And if they just continue to underachieve for the rest of the season and it's next season, Brandon Staley, your job is going to be donezo. That is all I can say. You better straighten up and fly right and draw a line between aggressive and reckless ASAP or else you're not going to be long for that job. You have way too talented of a team there, Brandon Staley. You have got to be better. Very good choice there, Hal. And we talked about Brian Dayball and the Giants in the intro. And for the first time since week seven of 2015, the Giants and the Jets, both New York teams have winning records at the same time. <laughs> Talk about a moment none of us expected this season. So my question is, Hal, which one of the two New York teams are you more bullish on long-term, this season and beyond? Well, I'll tell you, I mean... I can't imagine I would say anything against Brian Dable, knowing what a, you know, how deserving he is of this role, but talent on the roster wise, I'm going to have to go with the Jets. I mean, they're just loaded with young talent on both sides of the football. And I think, you know, that performance by Zach Wilson last week, what was what stood out for me, what made it so impressive, not just the comeback at the end of the game, but the control and poise, which he has been missing all of last year. Haven't seen it this year. There was no panic. There were no interceptions. There were no risky passes that should have been picked off. And, and I know Miami, yeah, there were some injuries there for sure. Very important positions. Uh, left tackle and quarterback are huge losses during a game. But Zach Wilson showed that he understood all he had to do was manage that game. And you saw that young talent, the, the Brees Hall, the Garrett Wilsons, you know, uh, the defense there, which is so, so many playmakers. Sauce. Oh, Sauce Gardner coming into his own. Carl Larson, healthy at last. And what the difference he can make looking like when he was in Cincinnati. Top to bottom. Love that Jets team with all that young talent. Sound that simpatico alert, Hal. I agree right. with beep, you. Beep, beep, beep. I'm pretty bullish on the Giants, but they do not have the talent the Jets have. And let's not forget, Robert Sala is a hell of a coach too, man. Exactly. They got a very good coach league that team. They are adopting his identity. It's almost like they're becoming 49ers East. Dare yes. I say they have a very similarly constructed team with an exceptionally deep defensive line, a stud in the secondary and sauce Gardner um, weapons galore on offense. Garrett Wilson, Bree saw Elijah Moore. And you forgot another young son of us, Elijah Vera Tucker. Yeah. This guy, he's already a top 10 offensive lineman, regardless of position. He's mainly a guard, but he played some left tackle about a, two weeks ago and right tackle last week. I, I might have gotten those two wrong, but still, oh, you he got it. Up in both tackle spots these past two weeks. And, and he played just as well as he played at guard. He is so special, man. The, Joe Douglas is building a juggernaut with Gabe Green. And uh, I have never felt more optimistic long-term about the Jets than I ever been. Amen, David. Yeah, Elijah Vera Tucker, right tackle last week, clean sheet, no penalties, uh, no pressures allowed, just an amazing performance for the Jets. If they get that offensive line straightened out, you know, we could be talking playoffs 49ers this year. East. Playoffs That's right. 49ers <laughs> East easily. They, they just have 
at uh, 49ers look to that roster, a, a physical team that yep. uh, can beat you in multiple ways. That is exactly the kind of team Robert Sala is building in his image, and Joe Douglas as well. I really love that head co- coach, GM Come I was bullish on them from day one, and it's starting to read benefits big time for the New York J-E-T-S. Jets, 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 Jets. And as great as a start the Giants and Jets have had this season, it has not been a good start to the season for either the defending Super Bowl champion Rams nor the runner-up Bengals. Both sit at two and three with absolutely pathetic, and I mean pathetic, offensive line play absolutely handcuffing their offenses. Which one of these teams would you say is more likely to miss the playoffs? You know, tough call, but... Jeez, I'm going to have to go with the Rams. And, you know, I just don't see anything out of Cam Akers, Daryl Henderson, that is going to revitalize this rushing game, give them a boost. Matthew Stafford looks tired and beat up, and it's only week five. Uh, Weapons-wise, you know, he's got Cooper Cup some production but not a lot of big plays out of Tyler Higby and Allen Robinson disappointment central there uh, did not replace Odell Beckham Jr. in that offense and a defense with star players on it but again filling in those gaps around it they've had some difficulties with that this year and you're seeing that on the field and this team just looks like you know, uh, <laughs> they're paying the price for selling out for that Super Bowl win last year. And, uh, they, you know, hey, at least they got the W out of it last year. So, Absolutely. But as Andrew Brandt kind of alluded to this week on Twitter, uh, that all-in approach uh, is not sustainable in the long run. They're going to have to uh, learn how to use early draft picks as well as late draft picks because you can't hit on late draft picks forever like they've been uh, hitting on them in recent years. Uh, because at some point that luck is going to run out and uh, you're going to have to uh, really build a team the old-fashioned way. Exactly, exactly. And and for Cincinnati, you know, I mean, that offense is going to kick into gear. We started seeing it a little bit last week. Joe Mixon had a little hop in his step, and, you know, that's going to drive that offense. The defense is going to feed off of that. I think they've got a more talented offensive line, even if they're not playing better than the Rams offensive line so far and more likely to gel. Um, So I, I just see Cincinnati with a little bit more of a chance of a bounce back here than the Rams this year. Good point. And now it's time for our favorite game on this program, truth or exaggeration. You know how this game works. I make a statement and you let me know whether you think I'm telling the truth or whether I'm exaggerating and explain why. And we start with the Las Vegas Raiders who enter their bye week at one and four and all four of their losses have been by a combined 14 points. That is how close they really are in retrospect. But look at their schedule starting in week seven. They host the Texans, then they go on the road to play the Saints, then they go on the road again to play the Jaguars, then they host the Colts, then they play the Broncos on the road, and then they play the Seattle Seahawks on the road. And that is a slate of six winnable games. So truth or exaggeration, the Raiders will win at least five of their next six games. 
I'm going to go with the truth on that. Uh, yeah, I mean, five and one, I can see them definitely winning at least five of those games. Like you said, they've been close. Um, you know, sometimes these close games are just a matter of luck and happenstance, fortune, whatever you want to call it. You know, the Raiders were great last season in these close games, and they probably won more of them than they should have due to some good luck, uh, fortunate flag, whatever you want to call it. But but they were great in these close games, winning almost all of them, which is kind of what got them into the playoffs too. So for the Raiders, yeah, maybe it's just some cosmic balance this year. They're going to lose a couple close ones. But talent-wise, this team definitely has still has that talent on both sides of the football. And definitely have not been terrible this season i mean really you can look at that slate of games and say wow you know they very easily um you know a couple of good bounces in their five and oh right now so for the raiders yeah got to be a truth i totally agree with you there and uh, not only that i actually expected the raiders to have a regression to the mean in terms of uh, close games uh, because they were like a eight and one or something like that in games decided by seven points or less uh, last year. And so far this year, they're and four, but uh, they're due for another positive regression back to the actual mean. And uh, that's why I think the Raiders uh, win uh, five out of their next uh, six games, or if not, no less than four. Totally agree there. And uh, we go to Indianapolis. They might've escaped with the win over Denver in that, game that we shall never speak of again, but you cannot deny Matt Ryan. Oh my God, what has happened to him? I just, uh, it's just does not look like the Matt Ryan. I I've watched all those years in Atlanta. So truth or exaggeration, 2022 will be the final season of Matt Ryan's career. You know, I'm going to go with a little bit of an exaggeration there. I think he's probably going to be back he may not be a starter uh, he may have to fight for a job somewhere else and yeah the revolving quarterback is probably going to happen again in indianapolis but i think he's you know still talented enough um and probably young enough he doesn't want to go out uh this season so i'm going to go a little bit of an exaggeration there and yes yeah, as, as bad as matt ryan has been i mean that indianapolis offensive line considering you've got two excellent excellent offensive linemen um you know in quentin nelson and uh smith you know i mean two very very good linemen and then ryan have kelly too Don't ryan kelly. yeah and ryan kelly i mean you're looking at you know only a couple of weak spots but you know hey let's face it you got to put that on the uh general manager there because they didn't really go out and get anybody chris ballard kind of just said yeah whoever's there will work and it hasn't worked. So I'm putting more of that blame on the offensive line as well. They can't pass the ball. They can't run the ball. They can't block for anybody. Um, you know, yeah, offensive line, lack of weapons in, at wide receiver. Sure. But Matt Ryan gets some of that blame, but not all of it with me. So I'm going to go a little exaggeration there. That is a very fair point. The Colts offensive line has been absolutely atrocious. Uh, Barrett Browning looked like Lawrence Taylor against them for crying out loud. <laughs> oh, my goodness. And a couple weeks ago, we accused 
a certain team of failing its young quarterback. But last week, this quarterback looked pretty dang good. So truth or exaggeration, Justin Fields' performance against the Vikings was exactly the kind of game he needed, and there are signs he may be turning a corner in his development after all. You know, I, I got to see him do it more consistently before I uh, <laughs> say, you know, step off of my soapbox and say the Bears are killing Justin Fields because one week isn't going to wipe out those first four weeks of the season for me. So exaggeration there. I think there's a lot of work to do in Chicago. I think it was a good and positive step now can they carry that positive step forward uh, in these next few weeks here? That's what I really have to see. Fair enough. And last week, in light of the uh, Tua Tungavoy Lois concussion snafu, the NFL and NFLPA agreed to a new set of concussion protocols. And the big difference is that it adds ataxia to loss of consciousness, confusion, and amnesia as no-go symptoms for return to play. And the first player that was a consequence of those new rules was Dolphins quarterback Teddy Bridgewater, who wasn't allowed to return to the game, even though he passed the concussion protocol because he had ataxia. And because of that, he's probably not going to start this week because he's going to miss a lot of practice time because he still has to go through the normal concussion protocol. And I've seen some people be very critical of this new protocol for reasons like that. So truth or exaggeration, the NFL's new concussion protocols are too strict. Exaggeration. I mean, this should have happened years ago that players are ruled out of the game uh, with that ataxia signs immediately. That should have been, I don't know, a year, I mean, 20 years ago, but really, realistically five years ago that should have been in place so i'm not going to say these rules are too strict i'm going to say um if you can verify it so now we're putting more pressure on you know the doctors administering the tests watching from the booth you know i i understand the dolphins side of it as saying you know we didn't see that stumble with with him that was with bridgewater um, there wasn't that sign. So again, that's, that's, you know, now we're getting into that fine line. Is that too much? As long as they've got people, the spotters in the booth working in conjunction with the doctors and they get it right, you know, use the replays. Come on, NFL, you got 50 cameras in the stadium. You can figure this out, give them the tools, let them make the right choices because it is not too strict. It is how it should be. That is the truth. And the, you've got to protect these players. They desperately need it because the players, I understand the feeling they're going to want to go back in. It's their career and it's the league and the ownership's responsibility to protect their investment in the players and keep them safe and healthy. So that's simpatico alert, my friend. I totally agree with you. These protocols are not strict whatsoever. It is absolutely the right thing. And people have to keep this in mind. It's not just concussions themselves that cause these uh, neurological disorders later in life. 
It's the subconcussive hits that add up over time. And that is why they were exactly right to add ataxia to these uh, no-go symptoms. They had no choice. It should have been done years ago, as you said. Great point, Hal. And we now go to the Carolina Panthers. Last week, you and I on this Truth or Exaggeration game both agreed that Matt Rule would be fired by midseason. He got fired a couple <laughs> days ago. Uh, but seriously, all best wishes to Matt Rule. I met him at the Senior Bowl. He is a very nice guy. I definitely hope and I know he will get a new college job ASAP very much. He deserves uh, another shot in college uh, because that's uh, where his strengths as a coach are really uh, come into play. But now that the Panthers have fired Matt Rule, a lot of people around the league believe that they are going to be auctioning off some star players because they only have four draft picks in the 2023 NFL draft. And they're obviously going to want a lot more than what they have. So truth or exaggeration, the Panthers should trade Brian Burns and or DJ Moore in order to get more 2023 draft capital. Man, you know, uh, I gotta go with exaggeration on that. I mean, you got to have somebody there to build around. DJ Moore is only 25 years old. Um, you know, you, you pair him with McCaffrey and you find the right quarterback. I mean, I don't know if the tankathon's on this year to, to get to the top pick. Uh, some pretty good quarterbacks coming Suck out this for year. Stroud. Yeah. <laughs> or Bob for Bryce. Bob for Bryce. Suck for Stroud. I'm all for it. But, you know, again, uh, any of those, yeah, Brian Burns, again he is the centerpiece of that defense you can't be trading him away you've got other pieces that you can use to generate uh you know the draft picks if you want to get rid of a you know Shaq Thompson and a draft pick you might be able to jump up a little bit in the draft you've certainly got you know the Robbie Anderson somebody might be interested in as well so uh, but those frontline guys, nah, you just you just can't right now. You got to leave something behind to build around. Oh, 100% agree. They're going to need a DJ Moore for the quarterback they they're going to draft, assuming they're picking as high as they're going to be picking, and uh, they need a guy like Brian Birds on that defense who is going to be a terror for opposing quarterbacks. Those are the two most important positions in football, quarterback and quarterback disruptor. They have their quarterback disruptor and they cannot give him away whatsoever. And now on to you, New England Patriots, where Ramondre Stevenson Ramondre. is about to run away with a Patriots lead running back job. Truth or exaggeration? Oh, that's the truth. I've been, uh, you know, waiting for it and waiting for it since he burst on the scene last season. Uh, New England has a love affair with Mondre. I can't tell you how many times in my living room uh, last week, the Mondre chants had started up uh, with the crowd watching the game there with me. So <laughs> uh, he is, I mean, just so much fun to watch. He can run through people. He's shifty. He can catch the ball. He, he can block. I mean, diamond in the rough fine there and nothing against Damian Harris, who's going to be out a few weeks. Uh, but as good as Harris has been, you know, he isn't getting that second contract from Bill Belichick because Bill Belichick's got another running back all lined up, ready to take his role. 
and uh, the age of Mondre is upon us in New England. So a truth, truth, truth there. I agree as well. And plus, Ramondre Stevenson is on a fantasy team of mine, and uh, he uh, definitely helped us uh, win uh, last <laughs> week. And we lo look forward to Summa Production these next uh, several weeks and beyond. And on to the AFC East leading Buffalo Bills. It is very hard to spot a weakness on this team. And uh, they're going to only get better in the secondary because Tredavious White's going to be back soon. But if there is one weakness on this Bills team, it is running the football. So truth or exaggeration, if the Bills cannot become a more balanced offense than they are right now, they will not, not win Super Bowl 57, let alone make it there. Boy, you know, I, I don't know if I can say, you know, Josh Allen can't put a team on his back and win it in the playoffs without a running game. He certainly is somebody who could be capable of doing that. It'd make his life a whole heck of a lot easier. I mean, at this point, if pull the plug on the Zach Moss and the Devin Singletary, just not seeing it there. It's just not happening. I don't know if the Bills go about and, you know, uh, try to pull off a trade before the trading deadline. But, man, you're right. I mean, talk about that missing piece. Just to be able to take that pressure off of Josh Allen, just to get – one extra safety cheating up close to the line of scrimmage will just make it all the more dangerous. Um, but, you know, as much as we say it's a passing league, we've seen it year after year after year. The teams that need to be able to run the football, uh, to put teams away, assault out those seven-minute drives in the fourth quarter to hold on to that lead or take the lead and not leave any time left on the clock. It's necessary in the NFL still. You still need to run the football. And again, I could see a situation in the playoffs where they give the ball back to Patrick Mahomes and pay the price. We've seen it before. So, uh, yeah, I've, I've, I'm, I've convinced myself it's a truth, David. <laughs> <laughs> and speaking of Patrick Mahomes and Josh Allen, they face off again this weekend in a rematch of last season's epic, and I mean epic, divisional round playoff game at Arrowhead Stadium. And this was a game that we all had circled on our calendars right when the schedule came out. It is finally here. And we're arguably seeing the two best teams in the league face off against each other on Sunday. That is all there is to it. And let's break down this matchup. As we know, the Bills will be extra motivated to win this game because of that 13-second debacle in uh, that aforementioned playoff game last season. But the Chiefs, may have extra motivation as well, because for the first time in history, Patrick Mahomes is an underdog at home. Do you think the Chiefs should use that as bulletin board material for this week? Oh, I, I think it's already up on the bulletin board right now. I have no doubt about it. Andy Reid's probably mentioned it four times today. No doubt that is bulletin board material. And picking against the Chiefs at home, Oof, man, Vegas, you are uh, <laughs> you are something I bolder than I would be. <laughs> Very interesting indeed. There are reasons to be high on the Bills and their Super Bowl chances, but uh, Vegas uh, must have forgotten this game was at Arrowhead, <laughs> especially considering the, the, this stat. Patrick Mahomes in his career as an underdog is 7-0-1. Get that, folks. And uh, yes, uh, the streak might have to end sometime, but will it end this week? I am not so sure. And uh, that said, 
The matchup that could very well decide this game is uh, the Chiefs' offensive tackles, Orlando Brown Jr. and Andrew Wiley, against Vaughn Miller and that vaunted Bills' edge pass rush. If uh, Orlando Brown Jr. and Andrew Wiley cannot hold their own against them, it could be a very long day for Patrick Mahomes in the offense, and it could end up being a Bills blowout, uh, dare I say. And that was suggested by Matt Bertorami of Fanside, who is a big Kansas City Chiefs fan, by the way. And uh, my question is, uh, do you anticipate Andy Reid using a lot of his patented screen game in order to mitigate that mismatch in which the Bills are overwhelmingly favored on paper? Oh, definitely. We're going to see the screens. I think you're going to see, uh, you know, the the Noah Gray or Jody Fortson in there uh, at tight end uh, with some chip blocking, um, maybe some more of uh, Isaiah Pacheco in there yeah. as well to help block there as well and release out of that backfield. They have to pay attention to that pass rush because, again, that's that one weakness of that Kansas City offensive line is those tackles, especially against a speed rusher, uh, especially someone like Vaughn Miller. And, and let's face it, behind Miller as well, I mean, Gregory Rousseau, fantastic player. Boogie Basham starting to contribute. A.J. Espena has made some uh, plays this year as well as pretty much written off as a bust last year. So uh, they have the depth. They can keep rolling these guys out and keep them fresh. And that's where they put a lot of pressure on teams with that pass rush this year in Buffalo. So yeah, definitely going to have to, uh, Kansas City going to have to add some wrinkles to slow that pass rush down. And again, like I said, I think we'll see more two tight ends there, uh, bringing somebody on with Kelsey uh, to help out with some of that blocking as well. Oh, yeah. Jarrett McKinnon, Isaiah Pacheco in that screen game all day long and Clyde Eversolaire too. Those running backs could be Patrick Mahomes' best friend in the passing game this Sunday. I totally agree there. And let's talk about some other key matchups uh, in this game. Uh, the Chiefs' defense is going to be likely getting a boost with Rookie corner Trent McDuffie coming back after being on IR four weeks with that hamstring injury. And in week one against the Cardinals, he looked like a future all pro, dare I say. And he is probably going to be assigned to cover Stefan Diggs because as Spagnola was carelessly leaving Devontae Adams in one-on-one -on -one situations on Monday night. But now that he has Trent McDuffie against Stefan Diggs, even though McDuffie's a rookie and uh, doesn't have ideal length for a, a corner, I think uh, Steve Spagnolo is... Uh, right to uh, leave him on an island with digs at times, actually. Oh, yeah. And I, I mean, Spagnolo dialed up some really interesting blitzes there on Monday night. Uh, some of them paid off. Some of them did not, as we saw with Devontae <laughs> Adams as well. Uh, but, you know, he's going to do that. He's put some faith in. And I mean, and again, that, that's faith in, you know, talking about rookie cornerbacks, Jalen Watson as well back there. Yeah. So, um you know, Kansas City, they're not afraid to dial it up. You got to be creative because you can't just go out and play base defense, uh, sit in a dime defense with two deep and think that you're going to slow down Josh Allen. He doesn't care what you're throwing at him. You give him the four or five yards, he'll take it all day. You bring too much pressure on the outside, he'll step up and run with the ball. He's you know, at that point right now where he's at his peak, reading defenses, taking what they've given him, not no situation being too big for him. So, you know, yes, blitzing 
has its place with Allen. I think you're going to see more delayed blitzes from the secondary as something that might be effective. Uh, if you can get some good coverage down the field, get a delayed blitz, uh, have a couple impact play possibilities that way. But uh, definitely, yeah, there's going to be some chances taken. You've got to mix that up and, and can't show them the same thing. And, and I think, you know, <laughs> hey, that's Steve Spagnuolo right there. So <laughs> it's a good, it's going to be a fun matchup there in that battle between Spagnuolo and Josh Allen. Well, it most certainly is. It let's switch sides. Uh, who could cover Travis Kelsey? Anyone? The Bills have a athletic linebacker in Tremaine Edmonds, and if there is anybody uh, that they're going to ask to go toe-to-toe with Travis Kelsey at times of this game, it's probably going to be him. But that said, I'm not sure he's up to the task. He's probably going to have help. Yeah, exactly. I mean, they're going to have to have um... – help for Edmonds. I mean, the Bills, first off, I mean, he's got to make sure he's healthy. He's been uh, dinged up with a hamstring. The last thing you want is anybody at less than 100% trying to chase around Travis Kelsey. And, and I mean, let's face it. I mean, especially this season, we've seen teams go in and say, hey, you know, stop Kelsey and we stop the Chiefs. And double teams, zone, man, linebacker, safety, cornerback big cornerback small cornerback i mean travis kelsey is just a technician out there on the field he still has that athleticism he's so much more agile and faster than people give him credit for with his size out there on the field and no matter what they dial up he gets open every single game and you sit there and you go how can they not stop him and it's like well, I, I don't know. You got a committee that you're going to put on him out there, you know, put a defensive end out there to chip him, a linebacker to carry him five y- yards, and then a safety and a corner to double him the rest of the way. I mean, that's your only hope these days. So, yeah, I mean, Tremaine Edmonds dinged up. Uh, Travis Kelsey is going to be a load for the Bills um, to try to cover. And again, mixing that coverages, I think you're going to see a lot of different people uh, getting their hands on Kelsey at the line of scrimmage. Um, you know, if he sneaks in anywhere near <laughs> near an edge rusher, you might see some chips out there on him. But uh, yeah, it's it's a he's a handful, and you know, there's no one way to stop him. You're going to have to get creative. You're going to have to mix things up and give different looks to him and Patrick Mahomes. And even then, I don't know, you hold them to 90 yards and it's a win. I don't know. (laughs) Definitely. And now let's make our picks for this game of the week. Uh, Whoever wins this game could easily be the AFC's number one playoff seed, which is a big deal in the new 14-team NFL playoff format. And uh, both of these teams are going to be equally as motivated to win this game because the Bills want revenge from last year and the Chiefs are going to feel disrespected because Vegas made them home underdogs for the first time in the Patrick Mahomes era. I was going back and forth. This is literally a coin flip because, like I said, these are probably the two best teams in the NFL, no offense to the Eagles, who we'll talk about in just a bit, but the number 7-0-1 broke the tie for me here. Patrick Mahomes is 7-0-1 as an underdog in his entire career, and I think the Chiefs are going to come out with some extra energy. They're going to feel disrespected, and they want to show the world why they, not the Bills, should be the AFC Super Bowl favorites, and it's going to be a hard-fought game, 
Both offenses are going to give us a lot of fireworks, but I am going with the Kansas City Chiefs, 38 to 35, on a last-second Harrison Butker field goal. It looks like he's going to be back this week. David, sound that simpatico alert. <laughs> I am with you as well. Um, again, went back and forth on this game and down to a coin flip. Look, it comes down to home field advantage sometimes, and nowhere is there a bigger home field advantage, maybe outside of Seattle, than in Arrowhead Stadium. And the Chiefs, you know, whether it, you know, that noise just makes one little mistake. It's going to turn on one small thing. False start on a third and short, backed up to the end zone, forcing a punt, giving uh, the Chiefs better field position. I don't know if that's going to be it, but I can see that being the difference maker. So I've got it. Kansas City 30, Buffalo 27. And on Sunday night, in the city of brotherly love, the NFL's lone unbeaten team, the Philadelphia Eagles at 5-0, host the 4-1 Dallas Cowboys for a battle for first place in the NFC East. It also includes the 4-1 New York Giants. But uh, with all due respect to the Giants, I still do not think they're as good or better than uh, these two teams we're going to see on Sunday night. And uh, the Eagles are 5-0, and but they had to really fight harder than both you and I anticipated for a win in the desert last week. So uh, my question is, do you think the Eagles were exposed a little bit during their ugliest win over the Cardinals? And if so, how? Yeah, you know, they, they might have been exposed a little. You know, things were going a little too easy for them, and it's it's real easy at the beginning of the season for teams to come out firing on all cylinders like that and carry that momentum in. And, you know, we started a little bit the week before with Jacksonville where there were some struggles and they fell behind and, uh, you know, really ended up uh, controlling that game on the ground. And for Arizona, I was did not expect their defense to be the one that was going to slow down the Eagles there uh, like they did, <laughs> but they certainly uh, did that job and, you know, slowed up that running game, uh, you know, kept Jalen Hurts from making, I mean, well, I mean, you can't say he didn't make too big of a, a you know, <laughs> impact with two rushing touchdowns, but, uh, you know, certainly held them to, came out to about a four yards per rush average by the end of the day. So, uh, you know, keeping Hertz in that pocket, um, you know, mixing that coverage and pressures that they were able to do and force them to move the ball through the air uh, against them. And, you know, really a lot of short passes to the tight end, Dallas Goddard, Devonta Smith, they made them, uh, what's the phrase from, uh, matriculate down the field <laughs> multiple <laughs> times and you know forced them to earn it every yard there were no big plays to, to aj brown they took off the top they tightened up against the running game uh, miles sanders certainly didn't have uh, a big difference making game there and forced a lot of check downs to devonta smith and and dallas goddard and and really made them work their way down the field and earn every yard and you know 
that really uh, kept the Eagles in check. And so, again, is Dallas capable of doing that with this defense? Yeah, this is a defense first team right now. So I think Dallas has the uh, game plan laid out for them. It's how they're going to execute it here on Sunday night. Oh, I completely agree. And the Cowboys defense, as you mentioned, uh, this is arguably the best defense in football right now. It's at least a tie at the moment, in my view, between them and the uh, San Francisco 49ers. And and this Cowboys defense is obviously uh, engineered by Micah Parsons and Trayvon Diggs. But aside from those two players, who would you say is the most important player on that Cowboys defense? Well, I mean, I, I'm going to give it to the to the old man of the defense, Demarcus Lawrence. As he goes, um, so goes that a Cowboys uh, defense there, and bringing that pressure off the edge. You take that, you know, with Micah Parsons there as well. Um, you know, with that uh, pass coverage, which you know Diggs and everyone else that is doing so much better than anticipated as well. Uh, Malik Hooker at safety and, and Jordan Lewis at, cor- at cornerback as well. Doing outstanding work for Dallas, but uh, you know, the, the old man as well, you know, when he's on and he's bringing that pressure in concert with Parsons, they're darn near unstoppable. Um, that Dallas defense and they get teams off the field in a hurry and especially on third down. Oh, very good point. And not only do they have take Lawrence and Micah Parsons coming off the edge, they've got Dorrance Armstrong, Dante Fowler Jr., the third overall pick in the 2015 NFL draft who has been an annual free agent bust at the Cowboys Center for Peanuts. And now look at him. He is getting in meaningful snaps in that deep pass rush rotation. That pass rush is just so deep. It just frees up Micah Parsons to uh, do the work on every play and keeps him fresh. That is a very, very important component of that Cowboys team. It's not the most important because uh, sometimes uh, Dad Quinn uh, trusts uh, his secondary to hold up in uh, non-advantageous situations because he expects those guys up front to win their battles right away. Very, very good point. And let's talk about some of the key matchups in this game. And just like their game against the Rams last week, this game features uh, two-star corners against two-star wide receivers. Uh, C.D. Lamb going up against Darius Big, Big Play Slay. And uh, flip sides, Trayvon Diggs against A.J. Brown. Yeah, I mean, those are uh, two fun, fun matchups. You know, Darius Slay, he is a legit number one cornerback, shut down type of guy here. Um, CeeDee Lamb, you know, going to be sliding into the slot. A lot of the plays as well. Dallas will move him around uh, outside slot, wherever try to get him some advantageous matchups be very interesting to see if uh you know if dallas starts moving him around and try to get a different matchup uh you know try to get him on bradbury um or whoever's playing at nickelback if avante maddox is dinged up and not able to go uh you could see dallas with a lot of movement there trying to free up lamb and and take advantage of some of that so that's going to be very interesting for the uh philadelphia defense on how they handle that matchup a potential reason for the struggles of the Eagles offense against an uh, average at best defense last week in Arizona was that they were missing one of their two stud tackles, Jordan Mailata. And good news for Eagles fans, Jordan Mailata got in a limited practice today, and that's usually a very, very good sign for his availability on uh, Sunday night. 
And uh, Jordan Mylod and Lane Johnson, who we talked about, the best offensive tackle tandem in the game, going up against that Cowboys edge pass rush that we just mentioned with obviously Micah Parsons and Tank Lawrence and uh, Dante Fowler Jr. and uh, Dorrance Armstrong. Yeah, that that's going to be a, a fun, fun matchup there. I can't wait to see it. I mean, Philadelphia, oof, um, you know, they've got that power on those tackles. Dallas has got the strength. It's it's really you're talking strength against strength there, and uh, one of those battles that if Dallas can get those third down stops with that pass rush, if they can put Hertz under pressure, force him to check the ball down. Uh, win some of those one-on-one battles on the outside, which, like you said, with that duo, does not happen very often against the Eagles. Uh, but just a couple of those in a key situation could really be a huge swing Dallas's way this week. And uh, last but not least for our matchups, uh, there is a other player on that Cowboys defensive front that could help those edges big time by winning his battles. And that is second year defensive tackle Osa Odigizua. That guy is the ultimate penetrator, man. He just is always in that backfield off the snap, freeing up those edge rushers. And he has a big test against Jason Kelsey and Landon Dickerson and Isaac Siomalu and that Eagles interior offensive line. But if he could win a lot of those battles, that increases the likelihood for uh, Parsons and those other edge rushers to make a play. That's a great point, David. That interior uh, defensive line, so huge. And flip it the other way as well. You want to talk about a strength. Look at Philadelphia. Fletcher Cox, Javen Hargrave, and rookie Jordan Davis. What a beast in that running game. That man is man against boys there with a rookie first-round pick there moving the offensive lineman out of his way, making plays in the running game, disrupting, maybe not the the penetrator of some others, but as far as controlling that line of scrimmage, he is already a veteran at that and such a huge weapon for that Philadelphia defense. And this week against Dallas, uh, slowing down that two-headed rushing attack with Zeke Elliott and Tony Pollard is a definite to-do on the Philadelphia checklist. And who do you think comes away with the victory and first place in the NFC East on Sunday night? Oh, you know, another great game here. Uh, I'm going to give Philadelphia just a little bit of an edge. I think they're off. I think they're both these teams are evenly matched on defense and Philadelphia slight edge on offense. So I'll take a nice low scoring game and give it Philadelphia 13 Dallas 10. The Eagles had a hard time moving the ball against the Cardinals last week, as we said. And the Cowboys defense is a million times better. And I think the Cowboys defense takes some of what the Cardinals did and just uh, turns in another dominant performance, which is just enough to win the game and get control of the division. I like the Dallas Cowboys in this game to knock the Eagles from the ranks of the unbeaten and to have the 72 Miami Dolphins pop the cork at least one more season. And let's pick the rest of these week six games starting tonight in Chicago, Thursday night football. You were absolutely atrocious last week and that's been kind. Hopefully this week is at least somewhat better, but we got the Chicago bears hosting the Washington commanders and Ron Rivera, Carson Wentz may be a problem, but he's not the only problem you have. The other problem you have Jack Del Rio, this defense that is stocked with talent just continues to underachieve because of Jack Del Rio's vanilla 
defense, uh, constant blow coverages. I think Justin Fields carries the momentum from his performance last week against the Vikings against that awful Washington secondary that's going to be missing its top corner and William Jackson third at a uh, sneak in a uh, moonshot or two to Darnell Mooney. And uh, that'll be the difference in this game. I like the bears. Yeah, definitely going to be a close game. Uh, definitely not expecting a great game out of it, but uh, entertaining close matchup. Uh, yeah, boy, you know, Chicago should win at home, but I still think Washington is too much talent on that defense. They're going to find a way despite Jack Del Rio to hold down the bears and pull off a 19 to 17 win. And on to Sunday's games, the Miami Dolphins and Skylar Thompson, 2022 seventh round pick from Kansas state is uh, expected to make his first NFL start go to against the four and one Minnesota Vikings. Now the Minnesota Vikings may be a four and one team, but I still do not see Super Bowl contender uh, written on them. Uh, but that said, I think they improved to five and one because uh, quarterback matters a lot. And I do not trust Skylar Thompson to keep up with Kirk Cousins and Justin Jefferson. I like the Vikings. I don't know, David. You know, we're seeing the uh, the era of the backup quarterback here uh, with uh, <laughs> Cooper Rush, Bailey Zappi winning in New England last week. Uh, why not Skylar Thompson? A ton of talent there in Miami. Get the ball out of your hands. Get it into the playmakers' hands. I think that they'll do just enough with that to hold off the, and I agree with you on Minnesota, uh, not a Super Bowl contending team. A uh, lot of close wins this year already. I'm not quite believing the Minnesota miracle here. So I'm going with Miami, finding a way, um, you know, maybe a couple of big plays from Jalen Waddell and taking the W 24-22 from Minnesota. The New York Jets, J-E-T-S, Jets, 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 at 3-2, and two, traveling to Lambeau Field to take on the Green Bay Packers at 3-2. and two. We knew the Packers' offense was going to have its growing pains this year because of that uh, wide receiver core, but that defense has been a major, and I mean major disappointment, hasn't it? Oh, so much talent on that defense to be performing like this is just terrible. Terrible, terrible. Shame on you, Joe Barry. Shame on you, Joe Barry, indeed. But it doesn't get any easier this week against that loaded, young, and talented New York Jets offense. Zach Wilson taking a nice step in his development, not uh, being stupid and making boneheaded throws, just taking what's there and letting his playmakers make a play, whether it be uh, Garrett Wilson, Elijah Moore, Braxton Berrios, Brees Hall, Michael Carter, you name it. I like the Jets in this game. This is my upset special. David, sound that simpatico <laughs> alert. I have this as my upset special <laughs> as well this week. I got the Jets taking it 27 to 18 over Green Bay. And I'll even tell you how they're going to do it in my bold prediction this week. Double simpatico alert. You're going to hear how the Jets upset the Packers in my bold predictions I as like well. It. Cannot wait. Oh, my God. That's a first. <laughs> Uh, Sympatico alert on an upset special and two bowl predictions to boot. <laughs> Your New England Patriots traveling to Cleveland to take on the Browns and the Cleveland Browns have uh, been 
unlucky this year in some of the games they have lost, if not all of the games they have lost, but their Achilles seal is that they cannot stop a nosebleed in the run game. And now they got the Dre train, Ramondre Stevenson come to town. I think Ramondre Stevenson just balled out against that Browns defense. And that is enough for the Patriots to sneak away with a 23-20 win. Yeah, I mean, one thing Bill Belichick is good at is taking away what a team is best at. And we all know with Cleveland, he's going to have 11 guys targeted on Nick Chubb right now. So uh, the other consideration as well is, boy, the more Belichick has information on somebody, the better he seems to be against them. And Jacoby Brissett, he might know that quarterback a little bit. So, uh, you know, Cleveland, more talented probably should win the game um has that superior running game but i just don't think they're gonna be able to do it uh belichick finds a way i'll give it to new england 24 to 20 over the browns tom brady and the tampa bay bucks uh, appear to be getting their offense back in gear and this week they travel to Acrisure stadium to take on the T.J. Wattless Pittsburgh Steelers defense. As you said, this is going to be the first losing season in Mike Tomlin's illustrious career, and the growing pains are only going to get worse before they get better. Uh, Brady and the Bucks should have no problem slicing and dicing up that Steelers defense without T.J. Watt. Bucks are going to win a pretty easy game here, let's say 31-13. to 13. Oh, I think it's going to be even worse than that, David. Uh, Tom Brady's starting to get into a little bit of rhythm hasn't quite turned that corner but uh you know get uh leonard fournette running you've got godwin and evans out there uh at wide receiver you're gonna start seeing some of those big plays coming up i've got it a massive blowout uh tampa 48 pittsburgh 13. would it be surprised if it's that bad of a drubbing either hal for the Steelers and the four and one New York football giants and our man, Brian Dayball host John Harbaugh, Lamar Jackson and the Baltimore Ravens this Sunday. And let me be very clear. I love what Brian Dayball and the New York giants are doing this year. I do not think they're frauds, but uh, sooner or later, a roster that is not as talented is going to have to run out of luck. And I think they run out of luck this week against the Baltimore Ravens because they're a more talented team and they've got a veteran coach as well. And it's going to be close. Don't get me wrong. But I think Lamar Jackson proves a little too much at the end of the day. I like the Ravens 21 to 17. I should pick the Ravens. I Every sign points to this is a Ravens victory. There's no reason the Giants should be able to do it again this week. But last week in the pack, it happened again. I can't get off the train. I am picking the Giants somehow, some way, some fluke, one big play. I don't know what it's going to be, but somehow the Giants take this game. I see it as a close game, but New York pulling it out at home somehow, 25-22. to Yeah, it should be a great game either way. And the Cincinnati Bengals with former Bayou Bengals, Joe Burrow and Jamar Chase traveled back to Louisiana to take on the Saints 
at the Superdome. And uh, this game is going to be very close as well. It was very hard to pick a winner here. But uh, and it looks like Jameis Winston's going to be back, but uh, Michael Thomas might not play and Marshawn Lattimore might not play. And uh, that, I think, is going to be just enough for the Bengals to get a few explosive plays in that prove to be the difference. I like the Bengals. Yeah, I, I like the Bengals, too. I, I think they're going to get back on track here in the next couple of games. Uh, they've got uh, still a couple of uh, South matchups here against the Saints, the Falcons the week after that, uh, Browns and Panthers. This looks like a nice little uh, get right stretch for Cincinnati on both sides of the ball. So we'll kick it off this week. I've got them uh, not scoring a lot of points, and I would pick New Orleans if they were at full strength probably but let's give it to cincinnati 23 to 19 over the saints the san francisco 49ers and that defense traveling to atlanta to take out the feisty and i mean feisty atlanta falcons who have been competitive in every single game this year all five of their games have gone down to the wire arthur smith i love what you're doing as well and the 49ers come in a little banged up but that said i think that defense is just too tough they're going to force marcus mariota into some mistakes that prove to be the difference i like the 49ers yeah i mean i, I i'm going with the 49ers as well i mean great defense things are clicking on offense i mean i think in san francisco you know thank god you didn't trade jimmy g because uh you're right back in that conversation in the NFC. Um, I think they've just got too much this week. I'm loving the way Atlanta is playing. I think they just get a little overwhelmed uh, by San Francisco. And we see a uh, fairly easy 27 to 15 win for the 49ers. The Jacksonville Jaguars of Trevor Lawrence, who has been struggling as of late, Travel to Indy to take on the Colts, who have been struggling even more. And this game was hard to pick as well. But uh, at the end of the day, uh, ignore the final score from last week's Thursday night game. The Colts didn't give me any more additional confidence in them. It made me uh, lose confidence, as a matter of fact, and go down to your levels of confidence in them. And I think that young Jaguars defensive front is going to be just too much for that offensive line and Matt Ryan to handle. They're going to like a sack him uh, several times and force a fumble or two. And that proves to be the difference. I like the Jaguars. Yeah. I mean, the Jaguars, you know, uh, got up for that Philadelphia game where we saw him fall apart in the second quarter that happens to young teams against a superior opponent there and maybe there was a little bit of carryover last week against Houston a little overconfidence as well uh, I think they're right back on track here this week it's a young, young and exciting team on both sides of the football I'm looking for a big Trevor Lawrence um, bounce back this week and Indianapolis, again, struggling to get the ball uh, into the end zone. So I see Jacksonville taking it pretty easily, 23-10 to 10 over Indy. The Carolina Panthers, in their first game of the post-Matt Rule era, traveled to SoFi State to take on the struggling defending Super Bowl champion Los Angeles Rams. Um, and keep in mind, Baker Mayfield's not even playing. P.J. Walker's going to be starting this game at quarterback for the Panthers. Uh, that said, 
I don't think it's actually going to be easy for the Rams. I think that offensive line is going to have some trouble with Brian Burns and Derek Brown. But that said, I think uh, P.J. Walker and the Panthers offense, they're even worse. I think Matthew Stafford and Cooper Cup uh, make uh, more than enough of their fair share of plays to win the game. I like the Rams in a closer than expected game. Yeah, I think Carolina might play it a little bit uh, tough in the first uh, quarter, first half or so uh, before reality comes crashing down here with a, you know, a little boost with Steve Wilkes um, stepping in for Matt Rule. But, you know, again, the talent is going to shine out in this game. And I think the Rams pull away in the second half, take it pretty easily. I've got it 28 to 17 for the Rams. And if you're looking for a potential shootout outside of Kansas City, look no further than Seattle, Washington, where Geno Smith and the high-flying Seahawks offensive phrase none of us expected to be uttering at this point in the season, yet here we are, face Kyler Murray and the Cardinals. Uh, this was another game where I went back and forth. Uh, but at the end of the day, like an arrowhead, uh, home field is the tiebreaker. I like the Seahawks. You know, I kind of liked what I saw out of that Arizona defense and started thinking about it and said, well, you know, the defense wasn't too bad the week before against Carolina. And, you know, the Rams certainly beat them, but didn't run up the score with outrageous amount of yards or anything. And, well, they beat the Raiders earlier in the season, too. That wasn't a bad defensive game. So other than week one, that blowout loss to the Chiefs, Arizona's been sneaky a little better than expected on defense. So I think they're going to uh, make a couple of key stops here against Seattle uh, on the road. And yeah, pull one out. Why not? I'm going to take the Cardinals, uh, make it 26 to 24, doing just enough to get that W. And last but not least, week six concludes on Monday night at SoFi Stadium, where the Chargers host the Denver Broncos, the laughingstock Denver Broncos. I have absolutely nothing nice to say about the Denver Broncos, and it reminds me of the scene in The Simpsons where Bart is sitting in the courtroom, and he's looking at Principal Skinner, and uh, he is uh, imagining Principal Skinner saying these words in uh, his head. Uh, Your ass is mine, Simpson. <laughs> I think things I never say. I think things I never say about the Broncos. Just give me the Chargers in a blowout and leave it at that. Oh man, you know, uh, you know, I I knew there had to be something with Russell Wilson, the way he was playing and missing on some of those uh, passes. So um, I kind of felt a little bit better about him, you know, when they started to tell you about the the partially torn lat. Um, and it, let me tell you, I mean, I remember playing sports with a lat uh just a strain and i'll tell you it was not easy to throw a baseball for young teenaged me way way back in the dark ages um <laughs> i can't imagine throwing a football with a partially torn lat like russell wilson gutting that out um so at least i feel a little bit better that you know there may be a reason uh for those struggles this year whether he's going to, you know, rest it and get it ready. Obviously not. That's not his style. And the Broncos don't dare uh, go against him. But um, again, feeling a little better about what he's going through. Look, Chargers at home, primetime game, um, huge advantage at the quarterback position with Wilson injured. Should be a slam dunk Chargers win. But yet, 
I told you, I don't trust the Chargers until they stop charging. And they did everything they could to hand that game to the Browns last week. And the Browns just didn't take it for some reason. So, hey, I figure they'll charge her away into it here. Let's give it to Denver 17 to 15 as the Chargers find a way to pull defeat from the jaws of victory. Wow, that is bold, Alan. Speaking of bold, let's make our bold predictions that we both had something to say about the New York Jets, and I will go first. Brees Hall had his coming out party against the Dolphins last week. This guy is literally the second coming of Matt Forte. He does everything exceptionally well that you need from the running back position. He runs the ball well. He catches the ball well. He pass protects well. He does it all. And on Sunday against the Packers, he turns in a performance for the ages with 150 rushing yards, 150 receiving yards, Therefore, 300 total yards of offense had two touchdowns from Brees Hall. That is my bold prediction for week six. What Ooh. about you, Hal? Oh, I like it. I like the boldness. I like the rookie. But, man, I'm going to go with our favorite Jets rookie, and that's Sauce Gardner himself. Talk about a coming out party. Let's do it against future Hall of Fame quarterback Aaron Rodgers this week picking him off not once not twice but three times including a pick six against him and robert salas new york j-e-t-s jets jets jets, 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 jets. jets. go into lambo field and take the w Take that W, Robert Solomon, the Jets. We believe in you. You can do this. And last but not least, as we always do on the show, we conclude with our challenge flags. You go first here, Hal. All right. My challenge going out to Luke Getze, offensive coordinator for the Chicago Bears. You put together the package last week. It looked like a functional NFL team on offense for the Bears. I need that consistency. I need you to continue to play to Justin Fields' strengths, to put him in position to make those big plays, to protect him, whether the running game is there or not. Luke Getze, my challenge is to you. Prove me wrong. Keep taking advantage of all the talent that is Justin Fields and make this a functional offense and let him continue to grow. Very, very well said there, Hal. And my challenge flag, believe it or not, goes to Jalen Hurts. Jalen Hurts, you have proven myself and countless other doubters wrong so far this season. We almost all doubted you that you would be able to become a functional NFL passer. You're above and beyond a functional NFL passer. You're turning into a special NFL passer, Jalen Hurts. But look at your resume so far against the Cowboys. You're 0-2 with a 59% completion rate, three touchdowns, four interceptions, five sacks, 104 rushing yards, and no touchdowns. And the Cowboys this year have an even better defense than the one they had last year. Jalen Hurts, use that as motivation to prove more people wrong. I doubt that you're going to be able to uh, put up big numbers against this Cowboys defense. Prove me wrong and carry the Eagles to a 6-0 record. And he is 
Hell Bet, ladies and gentlemen, a full press coverage. You can follow him on Twitter at HellBet01. Hell, thank you so much once again for a good time. And that's it for today here on Sports Crunch. But we'll be back next week to recap week six, preview week seven, and discuss all the latest news and notes from around the National Football League. So stay tuned. Meanwhile, be sure to follow me on Twitter at DCROB59, as well as on Instagram and now TikTok at Sports Crunch with DCROM. And remember, that's Crunch with a K. For hell bet, this is David Cromwell, and as always, please choose love, please choose kindness, please choose compassion, please choose selflessness, please choose empathy, and whatever your opinion on the state of our country is, please, and I mean please, do not forget to vote by November the 8th. Until next time, cats and kittens, stay cool. <laughs>